Reactive programming emphasizes writing code that is readily responsive to events. Reactive programming is increasingly popular due to highly interactive websites like Netflix. It draws on the value of functional programming calls like map, reduce, and flat map. If you're a fan of functional programming, you will like this episode. Today's guest is Matthew Podvisaki. He works at Microsoft and he is a contributor to ReactiveX.js. And he's also a speaker at the upcoming Fluent Conference. He joins us today to chat about reactive programming and the observer pattern and his thoughts on where the future is going with reactive programming. Matthew Podvisotsky is a principal engineer at Microsoft. He's giving a talk at the upcoming O'Reilly Fluent Conference called Building Our Reactive Future. Matt, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm excited about it. Yeah, same here. So when programmers have a problem in JavaScript, they often Mm -hmm. try to solve it with callbacks and events. What are the problems with this approach? Um, well, it's it's a number of things. Uh, for for example, callbacks, what you end up having uh, is is somehow you have your state uh, sitting around at the at the very top or, or inter, in, intermingled in between, uh, as it were, uh, and then it, the the overall flow becomes very hard to understand. You're like, okay, now do I have to handle an error here? Where does the error go? Who who catches it? Uh, okay, now I'm going on to the next step. The next steps requires this much state. Okay, well, now I'm going to update the state here. I'm going to have to check for errors. Where do all the error checks go? How can I recover? Any number of those kinds of things are kind of the drawbacks of of, uh, of callbacks. What a lot of people say is, you know, it, it creates the the pyramid of doom or what, uh, what I like call the cow's head, uh, uh, which is more along the lines of your code just starts to walk off the side of the screen because you're you're nesting all of your callbacks you know doing all your air check and then at the end you're doing all your air checking um as as well as you're coming back um so that's that's a definite problem the what i what i would call say the composition problem is is not a very linear kind of thing is that you you have these very complex state machines that you're trying to uh trying to execute and there's no real good way of reasoning about it because all you're dealing with is being stuck in a you know continuation passing style where you're like uh where does it go now uh okay now i just did an alternate path how do i know Mm. um and so so, some, some recent talks that you've given uh, have largely focused on reactive JavaScript applications. And right. uh, in the browser, we can build games like Super Mario Brothers, or we can build Photoshop in the browser. Mm-hmm. We can have video players. And all of these applications, if they are built responsibly, can mm-hmm. be based upon the concept of the observable. Could you define the term observable? Sure. Uh, so the the idea of, of an observable uh, is the fact that you have a producer of of some sort of data, uh, whether it's uh, you know whether it's mouse movements, whether it's some uh, uh, you know AJAX data, whether it's um, uh, you know, keyboard events, any number of things like when you're when you're talking about games, but even the, the game uh, cycle itself is a producer of of uh, of events, as it were. So what I call observable is more along the lines of it's a it's a <clears throat> It's a producer of of push notifications, and so it produces all of these sorts of things that you have an observer on the other side listening for. So you basically, uh, it's the uh, you know the Hollywood principle: uh, don't call us, we'll call you. So you just basically hand me an observer, and whenever I'm ready to start producing values, then I will start sending them to you. So that's what I would call an observable. Uh, is just the idea is that it is a a producer of 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 content that you have someone else listen to. How, how does the observable make asynchronous programming easier? Okay, well, the way that that we've designed the observe uh, the observable uh, is is actually fairly interesting in the fact that. Um, we, uh, when we were designing uh, this uh, this whole paradigm, uh, we 
we were looking at uh, basically trying to to turn uh, make JavaScript programming easier, and this was in the days before promises really existed, and 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 a lot of these other things. So we kind of needed a way uh, that we could easily uh, produce, uh, you know, have first class objects, as it were, to encompass things like mouse movements to. Uh, uh, to mouse clicks, to any number of these kinds of things that we'd want to to basically do. The problem was is that in, in standard JavaScript that doesn't exist. With with standard events, yes, it acts like the subject observer pattern, but all you're doing is dealing with callbacks at a certain point. I just say add a uh, add event listener, give it a callback, and remove event listener, and I remove that callback. But the problem is that you can't really take those those uh, and turn them into to Lego blocks or, or building blocks upon one another because you're like, okay, I'm going to nest this event handler inside of this event handler. So it's basically you're going back to the, the callback problem that you had, which is the coordination of all of those things. So what we uh, decided to do was was try to create a first class object, uh, which which uh, which encompassed all of those kinds of things in a in a neat little way, uh, and this all spawned from uh, from a project we called Volta back in uh, the Microsoft Live Labs day, where we were trying to take uh, C sharp code and you could compile it to JavaScript, you could compile it to uh, Silverlight app. Uh, you could compile it to a desktop app. You basically just doing the tier splitting and say, okay, this uh, this particular mouse movements, I want this to run on the client. I want this particular event to run on the server, etc. But the problem was is that once again with events, you can't really just pass events around. You want to pass this object which encompasses this events. Mm-hmm. So we'll get into that uh, the that stuff and and into. Uh, to ReactiveX uh, a little more uh, further into the conversation. But I want to talk about uh, a term that you have uh, made a point to enumerate, which is reactive programming. Mm -hmm. So what is reactive programming? Uh, The easiest way of of describing that is, uh, you know, readily responding to a stimulus, you know, if you read the dictionary. Um, But that's... That's fairly simplistic in the fact that you know we, one could say in in JavaScript all along we've been doing reactive programming, um, in the fact that you know we uh, we react to events, we add event listeners, and we remove event listeners. The idea, though, is being uh, what I what I consider reactive programming is more of the the compositional nature of of dealing with events and dealing with callbacks in a very simplistic uh, fashion. Uh, so that you can start chaining these kinds of things together in a way that you're not only responsive to any stimulus, but you're also responsive to the user, making sure that you're uh, when you're designing reactive applications that they uh, that they're responsive to the users. They don't block. Uh, um, they can easily recover from failure. Uh, for example, if you know, if if for example, an AJAX call fails, how do you recover from that? Well, reactive programming is the idea that you're you're actually going to have a way to do that. Uh, so it's it, and it's all about scale and and re- really trying to take this whole paradigm of being event driven and really bringing it up to scale. And just to disavow us of the discussion of functional reactive programming or some other collection of buzzwords what Mm -hmm. isn't reactive programming uh what isn't reactive programming uh well uh that's that's a good question what isn't it uh uh react is one of them uh (laughs) (laughs) react js yeah react uh from uh from facebook certainly isn't uh Outside of its, uh, you know, its its uh, rendering, uh, there's really not much reactive about it. In the fact that you know it's doing the diffing and, and all of that sort of thing. But you know, in terms of of uh, of a lot of the other things that they have, it's it's not really reactive, which is kind of disappointing as the they've kind of hijacked the term, as it were, uh, versus us who you know started out in 2009, 2010 timeframe with RxJS and the old idea. Of, of reactive so 
it, it, it's it's disappointing that uh, that some people have taken the name and, and gone off and said, okay, well, this is reactive. Now that's reactive. Uh, you know, it, it's it's hard to pull that back, really. Um, once once it's been out there. Okay. Well, so let's let's talk about more about what reactive programming actually is. Uh, and one way is by virtue of example. Uh, mm-hmm. You've told the story of companies like Netflix and Airbnb and Microsoft, where you work, solving really big asynchronicity problems by mm-hmm. changing how they think about events. Mm-hmm. So let's let's take Netflix for an example. What yeah. what types of asynchrony problems does Netflix have to deal with? Oh, any number of things. I mean, if you look at their player altogether, everything about it is asynchronous. Uh, whether it's their login, whether it's any of their animations, uh, it's data binding. Everything about it is completely asynchronous. So that's one of the things that they've had to deal with is is this gigantic ball of of you know of of events that they have to react to. Uh, you know, let's let's drill down into specific examples. The first is you know is, is the basic autocomplete that everybody loves to you know to talk about, and I'm sure there's a drink game where uh, where people t- say oh autocomplete and, and reactive programming <laughs> uh, but anyways uh, <clears throat> the the basic idea of of throttling the user's input while they're typing just to make sure that you know they're typing uh, they're not type you know, you're not flooding your server with requests uh, as they're as they're typing and you want to give them movies well that's a, certainly a thing to do uh, where you're basically making sure that they're only giving you, you know, unique inputs uh, after a certain amount of time, and then you want to make sure that any previous request that went out uh, in in between time uh, to get canceled. Uh, so that's certainly one of those problems that they've solved. Um, Another one of those is that they deal with uh, very constrained uh, devices. So the idea is that you only want to keep on the uh, the page itself uh, the data that you have, and uh, once it goes out of of scope and you know off the screen, then you want to clean up everything. You know, deterministically uh, clean up everything. And the good part about the observable pattern, uh, what we have, is certainly has the uh, construction, uh, but also the destruction, as it were. Uh, so I think that's a fairly important uh, uh, distinction. There is that in uh, in reactive programming, especially the observable, is that we have the uh, construction phase in which you start to yield values, but you also have the destruction of deterministically cleaning up. So if, for example, I'm doing mouse drag, it's mouse down and mouse moved until mouse up. The idea of when you unsubscribe from that particular um, thing, everything gets cleaned up. Well, it's certainly the case uh, here where you're dealing with that, uh, uh, your user interface is you're basically, you know, adding a little bit of, of uh, you know, a, a little bit of slack basically to be able to, you know, go up quickly up and down and not completely blow away everything. Uh, so it's, you know, a little bit of, of, of throttle there. And then basically you're just going to start, you know, polling as it were, and to make sure that uh, uh, you know when that row, particular row is now hidden, uh, it goes away, and so it deterministically goes. Okay, row, you're gone. And so those are kinds of the things that they have. Many other uh, examples from uh, uh, managing web sockets uh, and handling uh, streaming data is definitely another one of those things that they do. Mm. So, uh, so that's one. Once again, with the air, uh, the um, the air recovery, and so forth that uh, that RX and, and the reactive uh, paradigm really brings you in terms of of uh, of uh, dealing with with scale and dealing with uh, with air handling definitely helps you with. Yes, and uh, we'll talk more about reactive X. Um, the you know one of the one of the features. <clears throat> Uh, of ReactiveX is that it has, um, you know, APIs built in in a variety of languages. Mm-hmm. And back in 2011, this set of asynchrony problems that we're talking about with Netflix 
they didn't just feel it in their JavaScript. It was no. felt in six other languages, uh, and each language thought of asynchrony in its own way because you know the way that your language deals with asynchrony, you know, is born out of the constructs that are natural to that language. Right. How did Netflix standardize the way of thinking about asynchrony across these languages? Okay. Uh, well, uh, the good news was is that we worked very early on with uh, with uh, one of the Netflix developers while he was still at Microsoft, Jafar Hussein, and he was an early uh, adopter of the uh, of the stuff that we were doing with the uh, the Silverlight Toolkit. Uh, he eventually went over to to Netflix and really w- wanted to evangelize this particular work. He's like, "This is awesome! It solves a lot of the problems that we're having." And <clears throat> it was already written in .NET, and people, you know, uh, who were doing a lot of event-driven stuff were were using the .NET version and and eventually the JavaScript version. Uh, but the problem was, is, is like you said, is that they had so many other languages that they were using from Scala to Clojure to uh, uh, Groovy and, and, and so forth. And they really, want, um, really wanted uh, those kinds of paradigms to work for, for them. Um, and, and, you know, as a side benefit to that, basically that one person could move from platform to platform uh but ultimately, if you're sticking with one paradigm, such as the you know the reactive extensions paradigm, uh, then really you 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 know the language that everyone speaks. You're basically speaking the same DSL, uh, regardless of platform. Uh, so they went a- went ahead and created RX Java, which uh, has definitely taken off. Uh, in, in the, uh, the JVM world, and especially in, in Android as well, uh, which was really kind of cool to see, is, is that, you know, people were dealing with a lot of hard asynchronous problems on their, on their uh, mobile devices. And so, well, that was the easiest thing to, to manage all of those kinds of uh, concerns that they had. Uh, so once again, that was really one of the big saviors of everything is not only uh, did it solve a lot of a lot of problems on the uh, on the client, as we were talking about, you know, with mouse movements and all of that, but also to the server as well uh, for a lot of really big uh, server payloads that they had to deal with. But once again, they were dealing with the same constructs that everybody else was. So they could take that Java program or move them to JavaScript, move them to Groovy, um, and and move them to .NET, and they would all still be speaking the same language. As Netflix exemplifies, real-time is everywhere. No matter where we look in the stack, if we're looking at uh, an Android device, if we're looking at a mobile phone, a web browser, a television, uh, a Java stack, a JavaScript stack, everywhere we see asynchrony. Broadly speaking, what are some ways that we can think productively about the problems that asynchrony presents? Uh, well, really, when you when you think about it, could you, you maybe you could break it down into uh, this Zen-like moment, as it were. Everything is a stream. So, if you consider uh, every uh, every data source is a stream that can be composed together, uh, then you start to to realize that just about everything that you do is compositional and and Lego blocked, as it were, where you can start. Uh, taking one and and building it upon the other, anything from from uh, user inputs, uh, whether it's touch events uh, and uh, dealing with that, uh, uh, to dealing with with data loading, all of those kinds of things are are really all the same. They're just streams of of data. And once you think of it that way, then you can start to construct them together and say, okay, these two things I need to to merge together. These two things I need to, uh, you know, I need to compose together. I need to take the input from this one, pipe it into the uh, to the input of this one. So you're just starting to to take these and, and start to build them together. So once you start to to realize that all of your data sources, whether it's your mouse, whether it's your keyboard, whether it's your touch, whether it's a server. Etc. are all data sources that or or streams that you can you can compose. 
And in your presentations, you often talk about node streams. Uh, yeah. What is a stream and node? Does that uh, and how does that map to the conceptual presentation of a stream that you were just discussing? Well, node streams are fairly low-level constructs, and and really what they're trying to do is is more along the lines of be you know buffers of data over and uh, and to basically handle things like HTTP requests. Uh, any number of, of, of data source file streams and so forth. So it's really dealing with a low-level construct, not really dealing with uh, w- what I would say objects, uh, as it were, that a lot of things like events are. Um, so a lot of people go, "Ooh, I can put it in an object mode, and I can just you know use that uh, uh, use that kind of paradigm, and and all will be uh, great." Well. It, it, it was a clumsy design in in the first go around uh, with the ideas is that uh, data could start pumping to you before you were even ready. You're like, oh, geez, I I, I added uh, uh, an end handler before I added the data handler, and then just data started flowing at, or I missed the data completely. So you're like, uh, crap. Um, <clears throat> So that that became very troublesome, and, and not only that, but the pause and resume were you know purely uh, optional in terms of well, I tell you to pause, but you know it's up to the uh, the producer to say well, I respect that or I don't. Uh, that was also a huge problem. Is so pause and resume really didn't work. Uh, data started flowing before you wanted it to. So in came streams two, which was was trying to do it in more of a uh, a push pull mechanism, which to me was interesting in the fact that basically you now had this readable event, and then uh, when readable came through, then you could start pulling and read, 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 read until it was null, and then uh, then start the whole process over again. So it was kind of this managing. Uh, managing things that way but like i said it's still not compositional in the fact the well it, it kind of is but but you only have one compositional piece which is the pipe and so you could you know take your your stream you could transform it and, you know to all uppercase and then you can pipe it to the uh, uh to the the standard out yeah that's that's fine but for dealing with a lot more complex things that we deal with, especially and and user interfaces and so forth, it requires a lot more. Uh, it requires a lot more uh, uh, ways of composition than pipe. So you're saying that the low level concept of node streams these are not a high level enough abstraction to achieve this zen-like streaming notion that we want to move towards so let's 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 move towards the the idea of events so Mm -hmm. does does thinking about programming in terms of events make asynchronous programming easier uh events um i i would certainly say uh data sources and and events being uh certainly one of those kinds of things absolutely um and you know, typically, like I said, it is that the event composition has been very hard. Whether you've got race conditions about which event happens first, uh, any number of those kinds of things are very, very difficult to manage. But yeah, when you when you start to think of everything, your events, uh, everything else is as as streams, and that these streams are compositional in nature, then yes, you you've got this. You pretty much have that reactive mindset now. And you draw an interesting parallel between events and arrays, and you stress that these are both collections. Correct. So if I'm completely new to JavaScript and I mm-hmm. hear that statement that events and arrays are both collections, mm-hmm. that might sound kind of strange. I understand how an array is a collection, but right. why are events a collection? Uh, why can't they be? Uh, that's, I mean, that's a very good question. But basically what you have is an array or even a generator is a fi- uh, finite or infinite uh, sequence of values that you basically pull from, uh, whether it's by index or just calling for each and all of that. 
and and or even in the case of generators, you're calling next and getting the values. But ultimately, it's it's still you know blocking and giving you values. Why can't we think of 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 uh, mouse movements of uh, of keyboard events in the same kind of way that even your mouse your, what we used to call our talks was your mouse as a database, and it's very true. Is that uh, that your your mouse is a is a collection of mouse movements, mouse clicks. Everything about it is 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 a collection, uh, but that is not pool based, but instead is push based. Uh, so we kind of draw that parallel between the two, and what we call you know what we were enforcing uh, in, in our earlier talks about the duality uh, between the two is you have your push your pool collections over here, and you have your push collections over here. And if you understand one paradigm, when especially uh, with uh, ES5 uh, and the array extras when map filter reduced and so forth. Well, you suddenly you understood that you're like, oh, map and filter and for each. I get that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and then you go over here and then you look at mouse movements. You're like, oh, geez, I can do that. I can do a map and I can do a filter and I can subscribe. Well, that's kind of neat. Is the fact that you really don't have to change any of the code. You suddenly have taken this array of, uh, uh, you could say, take some uh, array of data on one. Uh, you could say take some data uh, that's pull based and push based, and the code would be absolutely identical in terms of of uh, how people would would actually process it. So you've said that the vast majority of functional programming at Netflix, for example, is done with just a few commands, like mm -hmm. map, filter, and flat map. Mm -hmm. Map map, and filter are, are more well-known than flat sure. map, but could you just define how, how all three of these functions works? Sure. Uh, so map uh, is a very simple construct. Um, I won't get in, into any of the whole monoids and functor stuff, so you don't have to worry about that, thankfully, uh, unless you really want to go there in terms of category theory and everything else, but let's not. Um, so the idea, basically, of, of a map is the idea is you take uh, each individual value and you transform it given the function that you're, you're given. Uh, so, for example, I can say... Uh, take a stream and take each value and multiply it by two. Okay, uh, so then it produces a new stream on the other side with those uh, particular values that are now multiplied by two. So that's a very easy, you know, quick transform. It doesn't modify the existing collection. It projects it to a new collection, each individual uh uh, new new item being multiplied by two. Now, filter, um, on the other hand, is more of a, a, a reduction operator. So, for example, if we take the uh, a particular uh, stream of data, once again, some numbers, and we only want to get the numbers that are are prime out of that, well, we would have to write a a a uh, a, uh, a filter basically that takes an input and decides whether it's prime or not. And what if it happens to be prime, on the other side of the, uh, uh, you'll get a new collection only containing the ones that are prime and everything else is dropped on the floor. Now, uh, flat map uh, is is uh, very it's it's a very interesting uh, uh, thing to talk about because it's kind of varies from from paradigm to paradigm, but it, let's talk about it in, in terms of arrays. Um, so the the basic idea would be to uh, to once again map the data, but you're going to map it to a particular type whatever type you happen to be in. So for example, uh, if you're an array, you will do an array.map and you will return an array from that array.map uh, function that you had inside. Now you have array of, array of arrays. Okay, so now you need to flatten it in some sort of way. So basically you would just 
basically unfurl it, as it were, into a single collection. Um, and so basically you could think of it as, you know, uh, nested for loops. So you're, you know, you're doing a four, uh, you know, four uh, item in item of uh, uh, items, and then you go uh, project to the uh, uh, you project to the other collection through uh, the function that you pass in. Now you've got this once again. You 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 have this uh, Cartesian product, as it were, just going from one uh, loop to the other loop, and then you're you're basically getting the result there, and then you're just flattening it into a single uh, a single thing. In uh, in observables, it's really no different in the fact that it's a flatten it's a a map than a flatten. Um, so you could call it map flat if you really want to, but it, the idea is <laughs> is uh, is that it's going to um, it's going to map it and then flatten it. And the the mechanism that it uses, say in observables, is slightly different in the fact that you've got. Uh, you know, has as we talked about with arrays, arrays uh, and observables are being collections. Well, observables add that notion of time associated with it. For example, you know, not all your mouse movements happen at once, uh, not all your keystrokes happen at once. So it's collections over time. And so when you're thinking about collections over time, then when your flattening is going to be slightly different because now your flattening is going to be uh, basically a merge instead of a concatenation uh, onto each other. It's going to be more of a merge and saying this keyboard ha happened here, this one happened here. And so it starts interleaving them uh, based upon the time that they actually uh, occurred. So this discussion of map and filter and flat map, functional programming, how does this tie into the idea of reactive programming? Uh, well, the idea here, uh, how it ties in, is those are kinds of the mechanisms that we have uh, to, to do com uh, combining of, uh, of streams together or to start doing compositional behavior of streams and to say, okay, I really only want uh, the mouse movements when it's in this particular bounding box. Uh, I only want uh, these uh, particular key events and nothing else. So if it's in any of these keys, then, then great, send it through. Uh, so all of those sorts of things have everything to do with, with reactive programming. And then things like flat map and, and all the other operations that you have are really about uh, combining uh, things. So for example, uh, we, uh, I have the example in, uh, in a lot of my presentations of, of showing some, uh, some code that you would do, you know, filtering movies, basically using uh, flat map, basically taking the user's videos and uh, video lists and going down to the videos where the, uh, you know, top rating is five and give me all of those movies. Well, it was the same kind of thing with mouse drags, where you take your mouse, uh, uh, your mouse downs, and then your mouse moves. So it's mouse uh, mouse down dot flat map mouse move. And instead of that filter that we had before, we have a different combinator or method that we use to combine, and that's take until. And take until basically goes, okay, keep listening to mouse movements until mouse up happens. And then suddenly the stream is terminated at that point. So now every time mouse goes down and the mouse moves, you keep on doing something, uh, you keep moving around, and then when the mouse goes up, it terminates the stream. At Microsoft, you have been working on ReactiveX. What is ReactiveX? Okay, well, ReactiveX or Reactive Extensions is basically a a, a family of of uh, of um, uh, I would say technologies or or uh, libraries, as it were, that uh, that build upon this observable paradigm. And, and it's spread throughout. Uh, like I said, it started uh, back in the in the mid two thousands uh, with uh, uh, with uh, the project Volta, the idea that we can do this uh, this tier splitting and what we called link to events, which suddenly became the reactive extension. So it kind of makes sense where it's language integrated query for events. 
And so we're like, oh, well, this is great. Now we can take this whole paradigm, uh, since it's just code, and move it to any language we wanted to. And so JavaScript was uh, you know, very much the, the, the natural uh, place to go, especially um, as we were very forward-thinking uh, at the time versus you know, a lot of people were investing in Silverlight. We were like, we're, we're going down the JavaScript uh, way and we're going to you know, pioneer this way of doing reactive programming because nobody else has really done it before. And like I said, when we started, there really wasn't any notion of promises either. So we're like, well, you can use this for promises as well. You know, sing, single value, multiple value, it doesn't really matter. Uh, and so that the whole idea is, is spread pretty much throughout the company, whether it was uh, in Stream Insight dealing with streaming data, uh, whether it's uh, Bing and Cortana, which uh, uses it really at at uh, at scales uh, not many people see before, uh, and Office and and plenty of other uh, products along the way, uh, but. But all in all, uh, it's uh, it's just a family of uh, of uh, of languages that all implement the same paradigm, and we all kind of group together and make sure all our documentation is you know everything that we're doing follows the same idea, so that you can go from one uh, one language to the other and get the same results that you would expect all the way through. So Microsoft and Slack and Netflix and all these other companies are using ReactiveX under different domains. Could you give an example or two about how one of these companies is using ReactiveX? Sure. Um, so, like I said, Delve, uh, Microsoft Delve, they were uh, they're certainly a, a good. Um, use, user of it, and it's a lot of the things that they do for animations. A lot of the things they do for, once again, autocomplete scenarios uh, that they're using it for. Uh, Slack, on the other hand, uh, they're using it for a lot of, uh, uh, for example, uh, <clears throat> spelling uh, spelling suggestions and spelling corrections uh, that you're doing along the way. Because once again, your your keyboard of uh, uh, your keyboard events are once again just streams. So if you could start reading it uh, as it comes through, recognize the language, and then just start offering suggestions of like, oh, this person typed in T E H when they meant to type in T-H-E, let's correct that. Uh, so those kinds of things that they can kind of do right on the fly is very, very neat. Um, so once again, when you're dealing with something that's largely textual-based, you want something that can do the analysis along the way and make corrections as necessary. ReactiveX has the tagline, the observer pattern done right. Mm-hmm. In what ways has the observer pattern been done wrong in the past? Okay. Well, <clears throat> if you take a look at the way that uh, the subject observer pattern uh, and uh, and its associates have been done, for example, in Ruby and in, uh, uh, and in Java, uh, you'll see something that's fairly wrong, I, I think. And, and Quite honestly, I, I think it's also in even in DOM events. And the idea there is basically that you have this monolithic uh, observable or subject, as it were. Uh, this goes back to the Gang of Four pattern, uh, where you have this this monolithic object or producer of events, and then you have all uh, the uh, this monolithic object. Uh, knowing about each and every one of your um, uh, your subscribers, and then as data comes in, you basically do a for loop over each one of them and notify them along the way. But once again, like I said, that's not compositional. There, you're dealing with the the fact that e that this whole thing has to know about all of its consumers, uh, all of its uh, sorry, all of its producers. Uh, you can't really compose those two things together very well. I can't say this um, uh, subject and this subject combine those two. Well, there, there rarely wasn't any mechanism to do that in the language itself. Uh, so what we did is we took that pattern and said, well, it's not really compositional as the, as the way it goes there. 
Instead, let's build it very functionally. So instead of this subject observer pattern having this monolithic subject where it knows about everything, we will start to basically chain uh, these observables together. And uh, basically so that you can, uh, you can take this one source uh, of data, you can do a map that creates a new one, you can do a filter that creates a new one, uh, you can do scan that creates a new one, uh, you know, all of these sorts of things. So none of them particularly know about their consumers at all. Uh, and that they're very, very compositional. So I can take any part of that particular chain and subscribe to that particular part. Uh, of it. So once again, you get, you know, highly compartmentalized, uh, you get uh, the compositional behavior out of it. And it's, and it's not like the plain old subject observer pattern where you just have your basically add and remove. Uh, that was also uh, the downfall and, and the real bad part about the compositional behavior is the fact that your particular su subject, you had to, t uh, your observer had to say when I wanted to stop listening, but basically handing back that observer and say, hey, remove me. So what we did, on the other hand, to make it compositional is the fact that when you call subscribe, we hand you back this way of unsubscribing. So basically, as we go along, we're building up these chains by handing you back your subscription object and say, okay, well, when you want to get rid of it, just call dispose on it. And so you can start building them up, building them up, building them up, and then you have this big, gigantic, uh, you know, subscription um, or ch chain subscriptions, as it were, that when you call uh, dispose, uh, it completely goes up and down the chain and makes sure that everything else is cleaned up and all of the handlers are removed. And once again, if you have the add and remove directly on the uh, observable or subject itself, you can't really com you re can't really do the combining behavior more along the lines versus the we actually hand you back the logic that cleans up as soon as you call subscribe. Hmm. So how does the observable pattern compare to the iterable pattern? Okay. Well, the iterable pattern uh, we saw very early became a, a you know pretty big success in in .NETs with uh, with the uh, enumer uh, enumerable of T. And back in 2005, they came out with uh, language integrated query, which started to add all of these. Uh, functional programming constructs. Uh, you know, our founder Eric Meyer, he um, uh, he was one of those key people in there. He also goes back and you know is very involved with uh, Haskell and the early days of Haskell, including the Haskell ninety eight report and so forth. So we were uh, we were looking at those particular things and, and we were enamored with this link uh, thing uh, you know we could linkify the world uh, meaning we could turn everything and, and query uh, just about everything and so then when it came to do doing the, the the web and UI programming we're like well dealing with events this is terrible couldn't we think about, uh, you know, couldn't we think about these these iterable collections and these observ uh, and these events as the same thing? So we started doing the mental mapping between the two, and in JavaScript you can even see this today uh, when you. Uh, uh, for example, call subscribe you uh, you're basically given this this. Uh, uh, object as it were uh, but you've passed in this this observer and this observer has three basic things that you have with it next when you get uh, new values error whenever an error happens and completed when uh, when you happen to be done uh, on the iterable side when you uh, when you get the iterator you can call next and so next will tell you will give you the value so you know, obviously, it'll give you next, or it'll give, or it'll tell you it's done. Alternatively, if you call next, it could also throw an error. So, at a certain point, we just saw this kind of connection between, you know, these three things where you say you get a value, you get an error, you get a completed. Where we like map those one to one and said, okay, well, let's create an object to call it the observer, and sure enough, it handles all three of those particular conditions. 
I want to talk some about how you manage ReactiveX or how what what the project has evolved into in terms of uh, this you know a project that's that's has work being done on by Microsoft and uh, I think Google and mm-hmm. um, plenty of other companies. So, what is it like uh, participating in in an open source uh, project with with so many different uh, big influential players? Uh, it, it certainly uh, is a, a new adventure every day, for sure. Uh, because uh, you know, as new languages come in, they really want to understand uh, the very basics of of how they would implement something. Uh, that's always a good challenge uh, to deal with, making sure that we're consistent from language to language to language. You know, map means the same thing, filter means the same thing, and so on and so forth. Um, but not only that, but you know, you have a lot of people trying to specialize these uh, these particular frameworks to do uh, various things based upon their particular workload. Uh, so, for example, you know, when Netflix started to uh, to come into the picture, they wanted new operators. They're like, well, you know, the, the ones that you have right now don't really work. Let's try to add these things in there. And oh yeah, we're on every single device, so we need to squeeze a lot of performance out. Out of that, so you know, sometimes, like all open source projects, things can be contentious. But at the end of the day, we all respect each other and say, "Well, and say, well, you know, differing opinions—that's a good thing. We just need to explore them all and and make sure that we've got the right answer. Making sure there's no regressions, we're not breaking in for everybody, and so forth." But yes, there are certainly a lot of personalities involved, especially as you're dealing with uh, with people from Google, from uh, from uh, from Netflix, from Microsoft, from any number of uh, uh, GitHub, and any number of other companies uh, that are using it um, uh, today. And now it's you know taking a, a life onto its uh, onto its own, especially in the in the JavaScript world when it's starting to be uh, included with uh, with Angular two as well. Uh, so once again, you're dealing with a you know a lot bigger scale than it ever had been before in terms of being more of a peripheral technology where you. Uh, you know, you would sprinkle it in to use uh, with your libraries as you wish to becoming a core fundamental part of a particular library. What's the future of ReactiveX? Uh, I think it's very bright in the fact that we're, you know, starting to see new languages pop up all the time. Uh, so we uh, we got uh, PHP's implementation is now in, in our mainline organization. And we have, uh, uh, so one particular person who now works at Facebook um, uh, wrote it as kind of a, a, a hack project. But now we actually have people that are contributing to it. And making it uh, making it pretty awesome. Uh, on the RxJS side, we've got um, a basically a rewrite uh, because there were you know performance concerns and and a number of other modularity concerns that uh, that we had along the way. And not only that, but uh, dealing with uh, with uh, a fairly complicated library uh, sometimes requires a little bit of typing so typescript was one of those things that came into the picture uh, <clears throat> so in in particular we're working with uh, with uh, uh, Netflix engineers uh, we're working with a good number of good people uh, there uh, Andre Medeiros uh, and uh, as well, you know, other other personalities outside of there, Paul Taylor, Ben Lesh, uh, p- people like Jeff uh, Jeff Cross, uh, Rob Wormold, all of those people are just, and then we, you know, too many OJ Kwan, all of these people are just, you know, too many to mention off the top of my head of of people that I just see check in after check in after check in every single day on on the new version is really really heartening us uh, that they're. Uh, a very focused on performance, and B very focused on making sure that it's right and working on everything uh, in, in terms of growing the community, answering questions, and so forth. Uh, it, it definitely has a huge uh, impact, you know, obviously in Angular too, but I think also in in uh, 
in places like um, React, uh, obviously, for things like replacing Flux or replacing uh, even some of the core pro parts of uh, of uh, of React itself, where instead of the whole set state stuff, you can uh, you can actually have your whole state as uh, as as an observable itself. So all of those kinds of things uh, that you can basically do with it are very very interesting. And then taking it further, you could uh, you have uh, like I said a lot of. Uh, 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 <clears throat> a lot of uh, frameworks out there that are new uh, that are coming onto the scene. You have uh, uh, Cycle JS, which is a uh, uh, starting to get very popular uh, with people doing uh, uh, reactive uh, programming who want to really embrace uh, the observable uh, style of doing programming, especially kind of focusing on a new architecture of model view intent architecture. I think is very very cool and very very uh, very very innovative stuff uh, that I'm seeing there, and so it's basically combining uh, you know the technologies of of observables with uh, with the virtual DOM, and you've got this whole new paradigm of thinking. And then you've got another one called Yoke.js, and then you've got uh, WebRx. Um, so none of that ever seems to be. Uh, uh, going away. I mean, there's there's a new idea every single day. It's just hard to keep up sometimes. Uh, with uh, with .NET, we're uh, we're focusing on uh, on getting uh, 2.3 out the out the door, and then seeing what we can do in the future in terms of taking what has been done with uh, with Cortana and making it available and say, hey, if you really want to use uh, the reactive extensions at scale. Here's how you do it. Um, <clears throat> and then there, are, of course, there are other languages that we want to tackle fully, whether it's uh, it's uh, Ruby, Rust, Go, etc., uh, to see how they really uh, play in the particular space because I think it just has lots and lots of, of room to grow. And even in JavaScript, it has a lot of room to grow, especially as... Uh, uh, Jafar Hussein, who, uh, like I said, worked with us in the early days, is now a TC39 member, and he is working on standardizing, along with uh, Kevin Smith, uh, on standardizing the observable as a uh, first-class object uh, in the uh, in the JavaScript uh, language itself. So once again, here here, it's it's mind blowing just in terms of how much influence it's, it's getting. Well, that's a great place to close off. Matt Podvisotsky, thanks for coming on to Software Engineering Daily. It's been great talking to you. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs>